0: The Early Modern Women's Complaint Poetry Index. How's that for an intriguing title? The index brings together poetry about love, loss and protest, written by women living from 1530 to 1680. Associate Professor Sarah Ross from Te Heranga Waka, uh, Victoria University of Wellington, has been compiling this online index of poems penned by Renaissance women. Sarah co-led the project with Professor Rosalind Smith from Australian National University, and they've just picked up an award from the Renaissance Society of America. So, with it being Aotearoa's uh, National Poetry Day tomorrow, and indeed UNESCO World Poetry Day, we reckon this is the perfect time to ask about those early modern women poets. Sarah Ross joins me now. Tenaque, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me today.
0: I thought I'd get a fuller explanation of complaint poetry. There's something about that word complaint. You know, there's a bit of <laughs> finger wagging going on here. But what is it more yeah. precisely?
1: absolutely so in this context yes complaint doesn't really mean whinging and it doesn't really mean finger wagging it's something a little bit more than that so a little bit of background yes this index brings together um for the first time this body of poetry um by women from the renaissance so you know the the age of shakespeare to put a stake in the ground um and it focuses on this very particular kind of poetry uh, that men were writing very prevalently at the time and that we've discovered women were writing as well and that is this poetry of complaint so it's not whinging it's woe okay complaint is the poetry of woe it's the expression of loss it's lamentation grief um, being abandoned by your lover it's you know Ophelia looking on Hamlet and saying woe is me you know to see what I see see what I've seen and Hopefully already you're beginning to think about the way that we have all sorts of lamenting women in poetry, you know, sort of throughout time. Ovid does it, um, Shakespeare does it, Spencer does it, Milton. So women abandoned by their lovers and weeping in the woods or um, the women of Troy uh, weeping for the fall of Troy and Homer's Iliad. The Daughters of Jerusalem Who Weep for the Passion of Christ and the Bible, are all sorts of examples, this very long and rich tradition of uh, women and lamentation that we find through through English and other literatures. Well, and... A, long,
0: a long and rich tradition, but it feels mm. like it, it's taken you and your team, those you're working with, to to put thought into this and to go in search of some of these writers and their words.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, literary historians, for the most part, have actually said that women themselves did not write this kind of woeful, feminised poetry, you know, that lamenting women are written by men and that they're used for the expression of kind of pure grief. You know, we get weeping women doing a whole lot of emotional work in literature from the past, poetry from the past. Um, Women used as symbols, you know, Mother England or Lady Scotland or um, the spirit of a ruined city or something like that. And actually literary historians have said that this is such a dominant kind of figure in poetry from the past that, you know, women didn't have space uh, to write that themselves, couldn't step into that position. But we had an inkling that this wasn't true. You know, we, we had come across complaint poems by women and we were really interested, um, as 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 others are, I'm sure, uh, in how women writers themselves um, take up this position of complaint. Um, how did they write their own complaint poetry and, and what sort of poetry did they write?
0: Is it mainly women of a certain class whose writing remains? I know in your index you've got a few ladies. Goodness me, you've got a queen or two.
1: Yes, we have. I mean, inevitably in the Renaissance, it's elite women for the most part who are writing. Um, Women don't really begin to catch up in terms of literacy uh, with men until later in the 17th century. So yes, elite women are overly represented. But as the 17th century goes on, we get more and more women from slightly lower classes. And absolutely, we get women who are writing in domestic settings, you know, so they're learning songs with their music masters in the home and they're drawing on on the things that they're learning there, the songs of Thomas Campion or John Dowland, for example. They're reading their Bibles, that's the other thing that they're doing, and they're writing through the sorts of literary and poetic voices that they find in the Bible. And the Bibles are very democratising text for women uh, in the early modern period, in the Renaissance. Women have access to religious readings Uh, to a much larger extent than they do to classical readings.
0: Now, you've got a couple of poems that you'd like to read for us. I think this might be the time. Beautiful way to illustrate what we've just been talking about.
1: Yeah, the first one that I'd like to read, I'll just read a little bit from the opening of it. Um, It's a poem by Lady Hester Poulter, who, um, yes, is aristocratic. She's writing in the Civil War period. And she does something that we often associate with women, which is she writes through figures of her family. So she imagines here her daughters. But I think as your listeners hear this poem, they'll they'll hear that it's not just autobiographical. We hear also all of the familiar kind of images and tropes of pastoral complaint poetry. Uh, And also this is very political because she's writing to her daughters grief-stricken at the state of England when King Charles I had his head chopped off. So here we go. Um, It's a dialogue between two sisters bewailing their solitary life. And young Anne says, Come, my dear sister, sit with me a while, that we both time and sorrow may beguile. In this sweet shade, by this clear, pearling spring, we'll sit and help poor Philomel to sing. And to complete the consort and the choir, I would I had my vial. You, your liar. And her elder sister Penelope replies, I, me, my sister, time on restless wheels doth ever turn with wings upon his heels. Fast as the sand that huddles through his glass, regardless of our tears, he on doth pass. Yet in the shade of this sad sycamore, we'll sit, our wants and losses to deplore. For all things here which do in order rise, methinks in woe with us do sympathize. And she goes on to imagine flowers weeping and the trees and the rivers and so on. Everything is weeping along with these two sisters. And what's the next one? The other one that I want to read um, is of a different kind. It's a different kind of complaint. And um, this one illustrates those religious biblical complaints that I referred to before. Um, I absolutely love this this complaint poem. Uh, It's a version uh, of Psalm 22. Uh, written by Mary Sidney Herbert. And it's her own translation of the psalm um, that uh, we probably know as, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it expresses uh, existential kind of bereftness, loneliness. My God, my God, how why hast thou me forsaken? Woe me, from me, why is thy presence taken? So far from seeing mine unhealthful eyes, so far from hearing to my roaring cries. O oh God, my God, I cry while day appeareth, but God, thy ear, my crying, never heareth. O oh God, the night is privy to my plaint, yet to my plaint thou hast no audience lent. And that's only the first two stanzas. There are another 17 and they're equally kind of rhythmic and um, soft on the air and yeah, incredibly beautiful.
0: Among those in the index, we have Elizabeth Tudor, Queen of England and Ireland, and her mm-hmm. cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots. Now, I think uh, Mary would have had many occasions to write complaint poetry, given what happened to her. But what was what was Elizabeth writing about?
1: Um, the example that we've got from Elizabeth in the index is a kind of love complaint, and it's a version of an unrequited love complaint, but it has a really, really lovely twist on it. Essentially, she says she has been visited by Cupid Uh, She has seen people that she has loved. She has looked upon them, but she's put those things aside for a future time, and that future time has come, and now she's older, and essentially she regrets not having taken up um, the love invitations that were available to her. So, yes, it's an incredibly complex poem in terms of what was um, the position of Elizabeth as a woman, uh, yet as a ruler at the time, and the way that those two things were very much in conflict for her.
0: I imagine, actually, that she would be a very good writer, as indeed was her father, um, going by mm. the you know Henry's remaining documents and poetry, etc. Are most of these poems, I mean, I don't think that would be a requirement for them technically being very good poems, but are most of the poems you know, really good, that they're, they're telling us something and they're written with some skill?
1: There are some extraordinarily good poems yes i mean inevitably when you do a project like this and we're looking for all of the complaint poetry we can find by women at a particular time there is some bad poetry but that's the same if you're looking at any other category um there is some very very skilled poetry and i think one of the things that's most revealing is that we tend to think of male writers from the renaissance you know spencer shakespeare as literary authors and then we go looking for women, and we're often looking for their authentic voices. You know, We're looking often for women as autobiographical writers. And sure, these poems give us a lot of insight into the emotional worlds of early modern women, but they also give us a huge amount of insight into women as very complex literary writers as writers of very complex literary poems. And one of the delights and perhaps the surprises of this poetry is the extent to which women are writing through the classical traditions of Renaissance humanism, through biblical traditions and through a whole lot of other um, vernacular traditions that are coming together. So, yes, extraordinarily good and very complex.
0: You've given some of your favourites, but is there a writer who who you've just kind of fallen in love with their work, probably a name unknown, but just one of those little moments of a little treasure that's come from all this work, that all these years you've, you and the others have spent on this index?
1: I think that, uh, you know, a lot of poets you know a little bit about, and then when you start reading them in more depth, you are struck by just how extraordinary they are. So actually Mary Sidney Herbert, whose who's paraphrase of Psalm 22 I just read, uh, her some para- paraphrases are just extraordinary. And John Donne and George Herbert were both deeply influenced by her. And I hadn't realised that, I think, until I got into the, the, the work of, you know, the granular work of doing this index, just how widely admired she was and how influential she was. Um, Hester Port is another favourite. Um, There's a huge body of complaint poetry and because she's writing about the English Civil War and she really does not resile from making political commentary, um, she has become another favourite. And no, I mean, there are others. Yeah. I, I'm sure
0: there are many. Sorry to cut you off, Sarah. <laughs> I <could keep> going. <laughs> <laughs> I wish no, I had maybe. time to. I've been talking with Associate Professor Sarah Ross from Te Herenga Waka Victoria University of Wellington. We've been talking about the Early Modern Women's Complaint Poetry Index. There's a link to it on our web page. Do check it out.